You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we always eat a pig because a pig is bacon. I'm your host, Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Even though a lot of the things we say, especially myself, say on this show, turns out to be correct. And I say that because we have, we have an epic drop this week. This drop... I found it on Twitter. I had William pull it out. And holy crap. I didn't think like anybody else would ever sound like me. But this this drop is epic. Uh, it's from about a year ago, I believe. I believe it's from July 2020. And we are going to play that for you. And you are just going to be blown away. And it kind of shows how things have become repetitive. Not that things aren't generally repetitive in our culture. But things have become very repetitive. Especially over this last week. There's so walkers we in the barn and Lori's pregnant. <laughs> all right all right that wasn't quite a spoiler that's a tease what's the difference between a tease and a spoiler <laughs> we'll leave that for you there in the uh those people listening in in the chat maybe that's something you can ruminate on versus listening on discord but before we get into all the repetition let me bring in my co-host joining me this trip from dale's lawn identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege william green hello hello what a wonderful week! Uh, great weather here. <laughs> Exciting to go uh, to go to kickball. Uh, friends in town um, uh, for a vacation this week, and uh, uh, went. We went to looking up where could we go see some karaoke. Went to a local karaoke dive bar. It's closed. Oh yeah, the ma- the, the the mask rules have changed. I bet they had to close because of the mask rules that changed. Uh, went to the right, beach you yesterday. Can you sing karaoke? Can you sing karaoke with a mask on? That might be a super spreader event. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but let me tell you, the uh, beach looked perfectly normal over in uh, Hermosa Beach. The normal, you know, beach sort of party with all the tents and all the vendors and everything else. Everything. Well, Hermosa is like there. the college beach, right? Like I love how all three of them, like there's Redondo, Hermosa, Hermosa, Manhattan. and Manhattan. Yeah. And as you there are as you go further north, right? In, in yeah. South LA County is Redondo, and then you go north to Manhattan, and they they get bougier as you go up. So like Redondo is sort of like the lower class beach, and you know that's where it's sort of uh, well, I actually Huntington's even further south than that. And that's where they say they're like white supremacist gangs and things like that, right? <laughs> That's where all the drugs are. Then you go to Redondo, and it's sort of like lower income people, lower class. Then you go to Hermosa, and it's like a college party. Like that's like permanent spring break there. And then you go to Manhattan Beach, and it's like bougie. So yeah. I, I love that about those those beaches on the on that coast there. Yep. So uh, so so I guess uh, the new mass stuff is uh, affecting me a little bit. I tried to try to avoid it this week, but uh, Justin, I've heard you you've had some trouble avoiding all the uh, COVID craziness. Uh, I don't know how you avoid at least online avoid avoid the COVID craziness. I I really haven't had a problem except Disney is now requiring it inside again, and and, and we'll talk about that. So let's get into all of the the Delta farce variant craziness in life on the midside. Take a good look around. This life really sucks. No, we just complain and I hope that this life is on. 
as always, if you would like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. So a couple weeks ago, William, we talked about the idea of oh, we're going to keep talking about all these variants in our culture and how big of a deal is it going to be? And you you coined the term Delta Force variant. Uh, I am now pushing it to another level and calling it the Delta Farce variant because, as we say on this show, Midsider Elliot back in the day brought us what he thought was peak farce, and we coined the term, we will never reach peak farce. Well, this week reached a new peak. So remember Elliot back in the day, the the story he brought in was a, a kid trying to poison his mother for taking his phone away. And he said that was peak farce. Well, now we've reached a new peak. Now, this isn't the peak. You know, we'll see more peak farce in the future. But it's like peak oil. It's a it's a, you know, every time someone says we're going to reach peak oil in 30 years, 30 years go by. We find like 10 times as much oil. So I think it's the same with right. farce. It's the same exact thing with farce. And we're going to go into that this week because, holy shit, I don't know your experience, William, but my experience this week was, really, we were weeks ahead on this. We were streets ahead, as they say on the show community, on this. And holy shit, this got crazy. Yeah. First, though, first though, I want to I wanna praise someone. Did you see the story, William, that Eric Clapton is refusing to play in venues that require proof of vaccination for the audience? I did see that. that that's pretty amazing. Some people are uh, pushing back. People with fuck, uh, fuck uh, you money, right? I guess fuck Eric me money. Clapton. He probably has fuck me money, to be honest. Yeah, he has fuck me money. There's no doubt yeah. he has fuck me money, which is why he can do this, right? He can just say, fuck me. I'm not going to take the, you know, he doesn't need the money to make to play the show. So he yeah. can just go, fuck me, right? Which is awesome. But I have to ask you, did you have Eric Clapton on your celebrities who will fight against COVID restrictions bingo card? Did you have that? I did not. He wasn't even on. He wasn't even on my radar uh, for this uh, topic at all. So, who do you think is next? Then, who do you think is who do you think the next celebrity to fight back is? Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, I, I think the only one more surprising would be someone who's already passed. Like <laughs> the only one that would be more surprising. I'm glad you're that surprised about Eric Clapton as I am, because I was like, wow, really, Eric Clapton? Things are pretty bad if Eric Clapton's fighting back. Yeah. No, known punk rocker, Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So the reason he's fighting back and the reason things have gone fucking nuts is uh, the CDC came out this week, and because of the Delta variant, they're saying that, oh, we need to have masks indoors again. We need to require masks indoors again. This has caused a lot of uproar and a lot of changes. Uh, the most notable change for me is that Disney is now requiring them to go indoors again. Uh, so I go to the movies at AMC and Disney Springs. When I walk in the door, they give me a mask now. And that's the way I'm doing it. I'm saying, if you're going to fucking make me do this now, you're going to give me a mask. You're going to give me a mask every day you want me to do this. And that's like my way of, of protesting it. Every other place at Disney Springs would not give me a mask. So if I wanted to go in like the world of Disney, I had to go over to the movie theater, get a mask, and then go back to the world of Disney. And the interesting thing to me, William, is I don't know if it's the type of mask, because I wore like a Clemson cloth mask I bought online the whole time before. But when I put on like the cheap paper mask they gave me, 
I felt like it was even impacting my vision. Like in the lower threshold of my vision, I could see it and it was making me very uncomfortable. So I never realized until putting the mask back on now how uncomfortable it is. Yeah. I mean, people are always like, it's a minor inconvenience. That was not a minor inconvenience. Like that was sort of like if you put stress on a muscle and you work out all the time, you're going to hurt the muscle. Like that literally was excruciating. Yeah, I, I I've always worn my uh, you you saw it uh, my newfound glory mask. That's what I had, uh, what I have, and uh, except for when I'm uh, working um, at the store, so then I use one of those cloth masks. And yeah, I, I guess it does kind of it. It can definitely uh, I, we have those pictures of the doctors and stuff, you know, all bruised up or from the uh, from wearing the masks and stuff like that. Yeah, so we don't. We know it can cum- accumulate some uh, some struggle, but I. It's not the inconvenience that bothers me. It's the uh, it's the change in tone, Justin. I mean, we're 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 getting the message right that uh, the the mask has come off uh, figuratively here. Uh, the time for voluntary compliance is over, right? As the masks went back on, the mask came off. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we should, and that's we that's need to crazy force people thing. to uh, to uh, to take the vaccine that doesn't even work against the Delta Force variant. Um, well, the vaccine that may even contribute to variants, right? The idea that yeah. um, because of vaccinations, the virus has to mutate in order to be more transmittable, which makes sense from a logical standpoint. And that's that's the crazy thing that's going on here. That's the crazy thing that's going on here is if you look at it, and of course, California is the extreme and actually Sydney is even more extreme than California. But you look at what's being done in response to this. So, first of all, the L.A. Unified School District is going to test students and employees weekly for coronavirus for COVID. William, before we even get into the vaccination stuff and what Newsom said. Are we just looking for problems now? I mean, to me, this would be like testing for the flu or testing for the common cold weekly. Of course, you're going to find it. But just because you find it doesn't mean it's debilitating or doesn't mean it's harmful to society. Yeah. Yeah. And we know we know from a lot of, uh, you know, we, we know all these models that, that they've been using are wildly incorrect. Right. Um, and I, I'm going to do a terrible job explaining it, but we know that this term that people have heard in the news, the super spreader turn that I joked about earlier, that's actually a thing, right? It, it happened a lot. That, like as people like years later studied the AIDS epidemic, there would be only a few people that were responsible for a ton of the transmission. Right. Um, and that's how things sort of keep going. And it has. So what you're saying is super shredder actually was a brilliant metaphor with the use. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> The but the the concept of masking up just random people and it having a uh in random ways right um and having it have some profound effect is probably quite wrong right the the key is is these is quote unquote super spreaders if you're talking about if you're worried about spreading but the problem is when we're talking about the delta force variant we actually shouldn't necessarily be as worried as the first time around right we know a lot more about the disease we know how to treat it um the more transmissible variant tends to not be the more serious variant uh as viruses evolve um so 
we should be putting this into context, right? How many how many deaths have we had? How many hospitalizations have we had? Uh, but that's not the context. We're not backing up the context. Justin, are we just going to do this until there's zero infections? Well, that's really where we're going with this, right? Your question is obviously a loaded question, and I know you intended that. Because it's impossible to get to zero infections. It's the same thing with world peace or hunger. And what I mean by that is, yeah, in an ideal world, there'd be no COVID. In an ideal world, there'd be no war, right? There would be world peace. In an ideal world, there'd be no hunger, right? Even in uh, even unemployment, right? What is the statistic? Is it 10 or 15%, William, where you're considered to have no unemployment, even though there's 10% or 15% unemployed? What, what number is it? I don't remember the exact number, but uh, yeah, it, there, there's a, there is a number that when you're looking at statistics, that's just the normal churn like of people in between jobs. And so they just call, right. call that full employment. Right. And it's, it's going to be the same thing with anything, with peace, with hunger, with a disease. The reason is what you just described is the churn. And the churn is people who are in different states physically and when i say different states physically i don't mean florida versus california i mean different like are they in a vulnerable place right now are they coming off an injury did they eat something bad that made their immune system lower have they gotten bad sleep for a while and they're going to be people who are in bad places psychologically and all of these things are going to contribute to somebody will get infected with someone at some point that's the way humanity works. It's the same thing with hunger. It's the same thing with people being aggressive, right? You can have everyone practice good psychological principles and you still are going to have people get in fights. That's what's going to happen. That is life. And it's the same thing here. Trying to get this down to zero is an irrational standard. Well, what's the purpose of the standard then? Well, the purpose of the standard, William, is power peddling. That's all this is. That's all this is, right? So let's look at California, for example, and then we'll look into into Sydney here, okay? California is now requiring all state employees to be vaccinated. Now, first of all, William, before we even get into what is super insidious about this, I have to ask you, and people are going to be like, how is this not the insidious part? Isn't this kind of like abusing state power? And what I mean by that is I have questions in general if a private employer is requiring their people to be vaccinated. Now, I believe in the free market and therefore they should be able to require that if they want or not. But a state employer saying you work for the state, then you have to be vaccinated. Isn't that kind of like a fucked up way to push their agenda? Yeah, I think so. I think. uh, It's it brings up an interesting question, because, again, we we're we're looking at what's the standard here and what's the goal and in certain contexts i could see this being like you you talk about private industry uh like certainly in healthcare i could see you saying hey we want you to get all these vaccines whatever they are uh in order to work you know i could think of like tuberculosis or something right like um you that definitely makes sense. But when we talk we talk about all state workers across the board, you have to start wondering, well, what, what's the uh, – there's a difference between encouraging and uh, and nudging, right? And I think we would both agree nudging is a little 
bit uh, outside of the moral bounds of what government should be doing. Uh, it goes back to the bribes as well, right, Justin? They want to bribe us. Uh, Biden wants to bribe everyone with $100 to try to get the vaccine. Um, yeah, like you can buy my physical health for $100. Like, yeah. Are you serious? $100? $100. The reason I'm not getting the vaccine is I'm young and I'm healthy. So I don't know what the possible side effects are, especially 5, 10, 15 years down the line. You can't buy that with $100 from me. I, it's not worth me putting something in my body. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, the, kinds, not the kinds of citizens that that would motivate are not the kind of citizens that uh, we should be protecting. We should be protecting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm That's serious. That's a little fucked up. That's a little fucked up statement, but it's true. No, well, true. hold on. Well, I'm being absurd. I, I'm being I'm being absurd with that point. But it the 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 truth the nugget of truth is in there, right? If if you're the kind of person who's uh, not able to be approached by reason, and you have a government that doesn't want to approach you with with facts and reason, and instead just wants to give you nudges, right? Carrots or sticks, then we're in a bad state. That that's right. not a good, healthy culture, right? And, and the, I, I, got, and I guess people... part of it, though, Justin. Part of it, though, Justin, is, is at least it's naked in, in in front of everyone, right? This is what government yes. does with the tax code all the time. At least it's like Correct. this is like naked in in the open, right? Well, and that's the thing I think people have to look at over everything that's happened, especially something I don't know if I've mentioned on the show before. I think I might have. Like, you can't go fucking out to even fast food anymore because everyone's being bribed to stay home because you're making more money on the federal unemployment dole, the federal COVID payment doles. Now, with these tax credits for children, nobody wants to work these jobs anymore because they're making more money just being paid by the government. And to your point, William, you, you said it earlier uh, when you were talking about crap. I can't remember what you were talking about, but it's connected to what you just said about the rational part. Right. People who are rational and are in the high risk category will already have gotten vaccinated. So who are you trying to bribe with one hundred dollars? Are you trying to bribe people like me? No, there's an assumption Right. And this goes into a Newsom quote right here. There's an assumption that the people who aren't getting vaccinated are completely irrational. So everyone who's not vaccinated is irrational. That's the assumption. That's the assumption. And I'm going to read the Newsom quote. But first, before I forget, do you want to know what's really insidious, William, about requiring the state workers to be vaccinated? What's that? They're all working from home in California, all the state employees. Well, in case they, while they're at the beach uh, uh, in Hermosa, enjoying the party, I guess they should be vaccinated. Well, right. But that's the point is it's not about safe working conditions for companies that are in the office. I can understand the logic. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I can understand saying we want our employees to be safe. Everyone needs to be vaccinated if they're working in the office. I can understand that logic, but they're not even doing that with California. Because they're pushing their agenda because they have the assumption that the people who are not vaccinated are irrational. And this is Newsom's quote. We're at the point in this epidemic, this pandemic, where individuals choices not to get vaccinated is now impacting the rest of us in a profound and devastating and deadly way. William, this is what I have said from the beginning. The underlying insidious evil premise that nobody wants to talk about that has come back full farce 
and yes, I said full farce instead of full force this past week is the assumption that your very existence is a threat to everyone else. This gave them a concrete way of pushing that and convincing everyone of that psychologically. Hillary Clinton tried it years ago with implicit bias, critical race theory, social justice is pushing this. The idea that your psychology inherently thinks negatively of other people. Now they found a way to push it biologically and they are not letting it go. And they've pushed it even further. We need to give you a shot. We need to inject things into you to make it so you aren't a threat to other people. And you have to keep wearing a mask and you have to stay home and you have to social distance, right? It's not just the injection either. It's all these things put together. And uh, Justin, I'd like to say, I'd like to say every single person on the 405 is a threat to my, uh, what does he say? Uh, sorry, it definitely impacts me in a profound and devastating and deadly way. So, therefore, everyone else should not be allowed to drive except for me. Well, I mean, William, I, was, I wasn't even going to bring this up, but I had a friend do research this week, and he was thinking the same way. We didn't have a discussion. We did not have a discussion, but I was driving, and I was thinking that, you know, masks are very similar to seatbelts. Their idea that I have to wear this preventatively and proactively in case something happens. Because most of the time you're wearing a mask, nothing's going on. It's not doing anything most of the time. I don't know what the statistics on it are. I do know for seatbelts now. I don't know what it is for masks. But you are harming yourself in specific ways, right? And masks are harmful. They're harmful physically. They're harmful psychologically, Right, and I don't mean physically like they're making you can't breathe. Like I said, it affects your your impact, the way you speak, right, which affects you psychologically. It affects the way we interact, right? It affects socialization. That's the psychological part of it, right? So you're you're harming yourself in order to possibly prevent damage. Well, it's the same way with seatbelts. Now the difference is. Seatbelts, you're not losing that much. You know, you're, you're losing a little bit of mobility and freedom, but you're not losing that much. But here's the difference. With seatbelts, the events that happen can be devastating, and they come out of nowhere. There's more predictability with this virus, as in socially distance or stay home. Although that same thing can be applied to driving. Don't drive take public transportation but even that's a problem how come we don't wear seatbelts on all public transportation william we have to wear masks everywhere but we don't have seatbelts on all public buses think about that for a second you want to know why because seatbelts and airbags together are only about 50 percent effective at preventing death think about that for a moment we have laws that say everyone has to wear a seatbelt we're only half the time it prevents you from dying now i would say as a rational person i'll probably take that bet if something happens in the very unlikely case, something happens, I have a 50% higher chance of surviving if I'm wearing a seatbelt. Okay, I'll probably do that. But again, there's also context. If I go down the street, I literally have a street that's not even a quarter mile to the grocery store or to the pet store. So if I'm bringing Echo, the podcat, down the hill, do I need to put on a mask? Or sorry, I need to put on a seatbelt? Same thing. I don't know, but we can't have that contextual discussion. We can't think contextually for ourselves because the government has already decided that for us. And it's the same thing here. 
Because here's the real thing, William. It's all a compliance test. It's all a compliance test. And what I mean by that is, it's exactly what you just said. As far as they're going to keep pushing it and pushing all these other things on us. It's not just about getting vaccinated, wearing the mask, socially distanced. Are lockdowns coming back? We've heard rumors about that. And we've seen it across the country or across the world. Did you see what's going on in Sydney, William? Yeah, they called out the National Guard. They call it, well, their version of the National Guard, yeah. right? They have the military, quote unquote, and the way they couch it rhetorically is disgusting, helping people, making sure they're staying home. That's what they tell them. We're just helping you, making sure you stay home. That is martial law. And what is very, very dangerous about it and terrifying about it, and this literally terrifies me. It's not like, you know, watching a horror movie where it's a jump scare, but it's this existential dread I have in terror. Did you look at their statistics over the week before? How many cases and deaths they had? No, I didn't. They had like, it was something like 11 or 6 deaths. That's it. 6 Man, deaths. Health, they're going to overwhelm their healthcare system with, uh, with that low number? 6 deaths. 11 deaths. Whatever. One of those two. I don't remember which one it is. But, I mean, that's another question I have for you, William, that, that I was going to ask before. When I go outside, it looks like there's not a virus going on. People are not acting like there's a pandemic. Are the numbers really that bad that our healthcare system is being overwhelmed? Because that's what I'm hearing again. This is part of the propaganda out there, is that there aren't enough hospital beds anymore. Is that really true? I don't know. And we've talked about before, um, you know, we have this little funny thing called capitalism and bed capacity is, is quite elastic. Right. They can always make more, right? Exactly. That They're always going to run at about 80% no matter what. Right. And the market's going to respond to it, presumably. It's ridiculous. But that's what's scary. All these things are being implemented and we have people convincing themselves that what is being said is true. Right. They actually believe that everyone is a threat to each other. And what this boils down to people believing this, this being pushed, what this boils down to, William, is and I don't I don't say this often. I don't often go, Ayn Rand said, right? You know the way I am. I, I hate catchphrase objectivists. I hate catchphrase politicians. I hate catchphrase p- uh, political thinkers, anyone who argues politics. I hate that shit. But I think there is something that Ayn Rand nailed that is absolutely brilliant about her villains in her books, about Ellsworth Toohey, about James Taggart, about Wesley Mouch. I think there's something brilliant she nailed about that and that what she understands about the true nature of evil. The true nature of evil is there are people who don't believe they can survive of their own means. They do not have the self-esteem to believe that they can survive on their own if left to their own devices. So then the only way for them to survive is in a group. Because when they're in a group, other people's ability can protect them. Well, what I have just described is government. So the people who get involved in government are the extreme version of this. They need to amass as much power as possible because they don't even they may not even believe that it's not just them. They may believe that everyone is incapable of protecting themselves. So we need to all get together to protect ourselves. Or, or to quote Jack Shepard from Lost, if we don't live together, we're going to die alone. That, that, that's sort of the, the way to think about it, right? Well, that's what they do. 
They get as much power as possible and they keep pushing us and they keep using fear to control you because that's how they get power. And that's what I've said from the beginning. And that's the drop, William. This drop. I believe this person is Canadian. And it looks like this video was taken like near Niagara Falls as someone who's been to Niagara Falls, seen that area. It may not have been. But this was taken, I believe, last summer, last July. I believe this person's Canadian from the from the way he speaks, the things he says. But I call this drop, this is Chad Galt speaking. Because if you hear this, and we're going to play this for you, this is all you need to hear to understand what is going on. And that is something something we have said. We have said these things many times on the show. So here it is. This is Chad Galt speaking. Don't need a mask. The mask is about compliance because they know Canadians like to do what they're told. So if they tell you you have to wear a mask, next they're going to tell you you have to contact trace. Then they're going to tell you you have to take the vaccine. And because Canadians like to do what they're told, they're hoping that everyone just complies. And then guess what, kids? Once you take your vaccine, like a dumb person that doesn't know any better, they're going to tell you, sorry, the vaccine isn't as effective as we thought it was going to be. So now you still got to wear your mask, still got to get contact trace, still have all the restrictions and so social distancing and still take your vaccine and then what did you get out of all of this you got a whole year where you weren't allowed to travel your business was closed they took your rights and freedoms they forced the vaccine on you and what happened the same amount of people died everything is the exact same and now they're going to put you back on lockdown and bring it all the way till july of next year so they can do the same thing again bring you from july august and september getting you off lockdown, but just to bring you back on lockdown again. If you idiots haven't figured it out yet, it's a perpetual cycle that you never get out of. And it's a way to take your rights, your freedoms, close your business, take your wealth. Why? So you become dependent on government. Why? If you're independent, the government works for you like it's supposed to. If you depend on the government to give you a paycheck to feed your family every month because they closed your business on you, now the government doesn't work for you. The government rules you. So instead of a middle class, we have the government, upper class, and the lower class dependents that rely on the government to survive. In other words, we have a slave class and that's what they're trying to do it's that simple it's that simple it's that perpetual cycle it's the slave class and i call this guy chad galt because if, if you go watch the video online this guy's jacked right he obviously works out not a coincidence right brostradamus other people have been calling yeah. him yes and it's not a coincidence you know as we see with zuby as we see you know with myself when you work out like that you understand what you can do and what is capable in the world it gives you a sense of self-esteem because you're like wow i by eating right by committing to something by having discipline i understand the efficacy i have but that's what they're doing they're creating a perpetual cycle and a slave class and really, it's we're all slaves to each other. That's what people don't understand. Ultimately, communism, ultimately, collectivism is the idea that we're all slaves to each other because these people do not believe they can survive on their own. So then the question becomes, William, what do we do? Because that's what we're about here on the midside, right? In the midside, we're about, well, life on the midside. How do we live on the midside? How do we how do we live the most rational life? How do we live the healthiest life possible well there was a comment in the chat which leads me it's it's a perfect in the chat in the discord there was a comment by midsider kevin that it, it leads me perfectly to what we need to do and how we need to handle this and how we break out of this perpetual cycle right when you're in a, an unhealthy relationship how do you break out of that cycle 
Well, this comment is addressing how DeSantis is doing the opposite of Newsom. DeSantis in Florida is saying another executive order. He's saying, I am making it so masks cannot be required in schools. And of course, people are upset about that. So Mitsetter Kevin said, I wonder if any of the media and everyone else is going to scream at DeSantis will have the courage to objectively compare numbers of people getting COVID and actually getting sick or needing a hospital against those California schools where they'll do testing every week. Uh, I'm going to just respond to that right now. Uh, No, they're not going to have that courage. We may see some people doing that, but the media will not. The media is in on this because the, the media by and large, and here's a hot take for you. The media, by and large, are filled with people who were unpopular in high school or saw themselves in that way. They saw themselves on the outside. So now this is their way of getting the group to agree with them and believe them. That's why there's an if everyone's ever wondered why there's an alignment between politicians and the media. It's because people in the media tend to have the same psychology as politicians. They're just not as charismatic or not as likable or, or for some other reason they didn't go into politics. But the key word in what, what Midsider Kevin said here is courage. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep reading his comments. I will say in a very informal study of my Twitter timeline, I'm impressed by the number of people who are not typically on the side of freedom calling into question the recent CDC guidance, their data, and the media's hysterical coverage of the same. Typically, it doesn't take much light to, light to make cockroaches scurry for cover. Let's hope that's the case here, too. Yes, I have the same hope. Uh, I would like to believe that this current insanity we're in, this repeated cycle, is only going to last for two weeks. I think they're going to go back to, and I think, William, you said that to in the midside thread this morning, didn't you? About how they're saying two weeks to flatten the curve again, basically? Yep, yep, we're getting on that yeah. train again. Right, and I think that after two weeks, I'm, I think people might get sick of it, I'm hoping. But that's where... What Midsider Kevin said is so important and what we all need to remember. You want to know how to end this? You want to know how to fight back against this? Think about Brostradamus. Think about Chad Galt. That took courage for him to do that. For him, it probably was nothing because he's so used to it. But William saying that, that potentially could get someone canceled everything he said, correct? Yeah. I mean, is it is it much different than what we were saying uh, at the beginning of this whole mess? Uh, no, it's not. And I left a pregnant pause there on purpose, and that's all I'm going <laughs> to say. It, it takes a lot of courage. It yeah. takes a lot of courage. There can be very real consequences to these things. And that's the thing is just thinking about that courage because there's only one response you can do anymore. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you, if they, they try to require mass at school, I, I may be out of a job. I may be out of a job. And if they lock us down again, I will protest if they lock us down again. I promise that. I will I will be one of the people out on the streets protesting in Florida. I won't do it. I won't do it. I refuse. Because that's exactly it. There was something that was running through my head, William, and I had you pull out a drop. There's only one thing you can say when people do this anymore. When they try to impose these things on you, there's only one thing you can do. Well, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse. That's it. That's it. And that drop is going to become a new huge drop on the show. We're going to hear this all the time. Hey, hey, William, they said they're going to make you, you wear a mask indoors at all times. What do you say to that? Well, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse. That's it. 
that's it. That's what I'm saying now. Do you have anything to add, William? Uh, well, I would just say that we are, after all... We've got to follow the science. And that's what we're trying <laughs> to do here. By refusing. Uh, it's uh, That's the... Uh, I mean, that's what I was saying. I had a note here. I kind of touched on it, but, you know, people have convinced themselves that A isn't A. I mean, yeah, the people yeah. who are like, oh, you need to take the vaccine. They've literally convinced themselves that science is not science. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. Like, what? I when my principle, William, of saying I will not take the vaccine because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't put something into your body when you're healthy and young and you don't know the long term effects. That's science. But they would tell me I'm not doing science. Do you even science, bro? So I'm reading a, a comment right now. So somebody's well, pointing out how in, in on Ontario, the the police actually said. I thought you would hit the drop, William. Oh, the police actually said. Well, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse. And the, the media apparently, quote, kept peddling the idea that the restrictions were protective, but. Uh, and they said, but my friends who live in Ontario literally did whatever they wanted and no one stopped them. So <laughs> it's interesting there, even there, right? Even Midsider Josh is saying in the chat, he also says he loves the drop. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I have to bring up, Justin, we've talked about, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, introdu- introduced everyone to uh, uh, Chad Galt. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the I, I, I've had this weird thought like that we live in some sort of uh, alternate universe where. Uh, all the things that uh, that we've read on Hard Times and Woke or Joke, you know, we, they've, they've suddenly becoming true faster and faster. Uh, is there some sort of like curse that we've uh, unleashed on onto the world, or someone's unleashed onto the world where where that's the actual, you know, magical element in the horror horror movie? Maybe this is is a great <laughs> script, Justin, that that you you could work on. Or it's like it feels like every time someone you know makes something farcical as a prediction, it it, it comes true, right? I think I, I've I've seen so many Twitter threads in the last uh, week of like the Onion articles or Hard Times Net or one of the other uh, farce sites saying something about the pandemic, and it's true. It's come true this week, right? Yeah, my favorite uh, was the Babylon B one this week, where I don't remember the exact wording, but they part of it in there was like, you know, the the Fauci Snyder cut variant of. Um, I got to find the quote. There was a great quote about the, the Fauci Snyder cut variant of, uh, uh, I, I don't have time to find it right now, but I just found it funny that they were calling it the Snyder cut variant of COVID. Right. Oh, and yeah, I know yeah. what the quote was. Fauci was like, you know, we don't have to listen to China anymore with their restrictions. It's like, Oh, so you, you know, we're listening to China when well, basically that's what's been happening. Uh, I don't know if there's some sort of curse or not. Hold on, Justin, we have to, We've got to follow the science on this curse thing and really investigate it. So I'll I'll put our crack team of researchers on it. Well, and I'm going to give them a starting point. Okay. I'm going to give them a starting point. It's actually something Midsider Josh just said in the chat. Uh, He just, he just said it in the chat. He said for every photo I saw on Instagram, parks were full, masks were off and people were gathering. It was really heartening. So that's a little different Uh, But I think the curse that has been unleashed in the world is social media. And it's amazing that Instagram is actually showing that. And in a way, Instagram's sort of more rational right now because 
Instagram is sort of like this fake fictionalized life and it has harm psychologically, you know, because everyone's like, I want to live this ideal life. And, you know, I talked about that documentary before on HBO Max about the influencers who like they will rent like a room that looks like an airplane cabin to make it look like they're going on vacation rather than, you know, actually going on vacation. So there's a falseness there. And it would be the same thing here, right? Nobody wants to on Instagram put a picture of an empty park or with masks off. But but the curse is social media propping up a false reality. And what I mean by that is social media is incredibly rationalistic, William. Ideas can exist independent of reality, right? We've even seen this with the Snyder Cut movement recently, right? With Restore the Snyderverse. Fucking let it go. It's not going to happen, right? Snyder's moving on and people are like, oh man, maybe Netflix can make a deal with WB so they can finish the Snyderverse. Like you fucking retarded because you're not wed to reality. And that's why people on there who are more rational can predict what's going to happen because they're seeing clearer what the rationalistic way of thinking is. And that's the, the curse. And I will even give you the tagline for the movie. The tagline for the horror, horror movie, William, is we will never reach peak farce. You can have a whole franchise. Oh, right? Man. It's like Final Destination. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, let's pivot a little bit here, right? Because I think we've covered COVID. I think we've covered COVID and the craziness this week. But there was another, a couple other things that are examples of what we were just talking about, right? The disconnect. Uh, the first disconnect is, uh, this is sort of relevant to something we talk about all the time where we're like, we're not actually engaging with the reality of the situation of like gender dysphoria and things like that. Well, apparently the American Medical Association said this week that sex should be removed from public birth certificates. Now, in the spirit of following the science, as the Fauci drop says, and trying to understand the reality of the situation, I have two questions for you, William. One, what is the purpose of having sex listed on a public birth certificate to begin with? And two... White supremacy. (laughs) Probably. But seriously, what's the purpose? And two, because you can answer the next question with white supremacy as well. What is the purpose of having public birth certificates? Now, I'm not white supremacy. Okay. Ignoring that, let's look at the real reason. Uh, The reason I'm asking is I am not completely against all government. So I want to know what the rational purpose is on having you register who you are and what gender you are when you're born with the government. What is the rational purpose for that? Hmm. Well, I think uh, it's weird because if we think about like, well, why did it come into being? And right. And it, I think it was uh, from religion, right? Uh, Keeping track of births and deaths was important. And certainly the state has an uh, interest in the whole death thing, right? Because, um, you know, preventing, you know, uh, not preventing, but um, enforcing laws against murder and, and things like that, right? You want to know why someone has died um, and that they have died. Uh, yeah, I get I think, that certificate. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to explore, you know, explore the concretes, right? So let's think about it in terms of births. Um, there's certainly an indicator of, hey, there's a new entity that needs protection, right? Um 
yeah, I can't really think other than an official recording of, uh, of the date and establishing your identity. I mean, there's some aspects of that that I think is important. Um, oh, hundred percent, but that can be done privately, do? right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that something only government can do? Maybe, right? I don't know. Well, but, if uh, I'm contracting, like if if I give if if my, if my you know not me, but you know if my wife gives birth in a a, a private hospital. Can they not provide me a birth certificate? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I mean, hospitals are the ones that do that. I think right. maybe if I'm if I'm thinking it through, I think as far as setting a standard of what should be on a birth certificate, there's probably a role for that, right? And then, um, and then also, uh, maybe even a role on the exchange of that information, right? So being the register. I can I can sort of see see that at least in 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 uh sort of in principle. But just like we talk about with marriage, you know, I was uh I was one of those few people saying, "Hey, just like get government out of the marriage game. Just say like, hey, here's the parameters of the contract, here's the default values. You guys go do it, right?" Well, right, and I'm sa- I'm I'm making the same case here. I'm not I'm not completely making it because I don't know the the reasons for having public birth certificates, government birth certificates. That's why I'm asking these questions. But you could conceivably make the same case here. Yeah. I understand government wanting to track the number of people that are born. I want to. I understand. Yeah. You know, I can understand well, I government. Think, I think I think for citizenship that that's probably the best argument I can come up with, right? Correct. For citizenship. That's probably, you know, keeping track of immigration and everything. Yeah. But then in a, in a rational world, and this is an open question as well. I don't have an answer to this question. Are completely open borders the way to go? I say that's an open question because, uh, there are legitimate concerns about the type of people who can come in and out, right? You don't want to let sick people in necessarily you don't want to let psychopaths in necessarily right you don't want to let a serial killer in now you're going to argue statistics and the you know the rate of people coming in that would be serial killers that's all valid these are all valid questions that's why i'm saying this is a valid question as well and when we say these things this is the rationalistic part of it on social media that has become manifest in the world why are we hyper focused on such a small thing like if we remove sex from public birth certificates that's going to fix the problem. Why aren't we asking the question about the legitimacy of public birth certificates and what their purpose is? Maybe having sex on a public birth certificate is important. Maybe that can help us track the number of people who become transgender because we see, oh, well, we had X amount of people who were born this sex and identified this sex at birth, but Y amount of people transitioned later. Why is that? Is there anything we can do to help this situation scientifically and even privately. The government doesn't even have to get involved with that. Do you get what I'm seeing, William, saying, William? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just push back a little bit. It's their gender that's changing, not their sex. But, I mean, that's uh, controversial among some. Well, then why do we even need to remove sex from birth certificates if they're gender changing, not their sex? Yeah, that that's what that would be what I would ask, right? Like, I, Yeah. As we currently, as the science currently uh, is, right, we we cannot change sex. We people can change gender, and they can make a lot of changes, right? Like that's those are all things that that are in the arsenal of treating gender dysphoria and available to folks that are trans, and even folks that aren't trans. Uh, 
but yeah, you you can't you that that is something that you cannot change. It just it is not it is not changeable at the current. Uh, I'm just following the science, Justin. I'm just following the science. We've got to well, follow the science. <laughs> well, actually. Uh, Midsider Josh said something in the chat that's very interesting in Discord that's very interesting because it's related to what you said and it's related to this story. He said, the crafted reality that comes from the collectivist crowd isn't being made with photographs. It's being made with infographic type posts, text on a colored background, multi-page that tells you what to think. And I mean, that's the same thing as a, a, a birth certificate, right? Maybe Maybe the issue then is to update a birth certificate. How do we make a birth certificate more connected to reality do we do pictures do we invent holograms do we link it to dna do you get the point i'm making william yeah well they don't a lot of them have like the fingerprints right or the handprint of the or footprint of the right and that's what they did back in the day but is it time to upgrade that now maybe we remove sex from there and we just put the bird of the, the date of birth and we we take a blood sample or something do you get I, I'm, I'm obviously yeah. I'm not well versed enough in this, but maybe the technology has progressed enough that we update this beyond that. So we don't need to have all these specific things on here. Yeah. Well, and then in that case, certainly there's no hiding in the sex of the uh, organism that you take the DNA from. Right. That's why I'm saying the focus is on the DNA and at which case then they can't do the propaganda because then they would have to say, oh, we need to not have, we need to not list DNA. Okay, well then what's the point of a birth certificate? All right, well, I'm going to so, put my bro Stadamus hat on. Uh, we will see somewhere in academia in this, uh, in the woke trans crowd uh, about using the uh, uh, CRISPR to, uh, to remove your uh, Y chromosome if you want to transition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's that far off. But again, that's rationalistic. You can say that, right? Oh, remove the Y chromosome. But do we have any any idea what would happen to uh, someone who's already developed post-womb, post-birth, post-natal? I'm, I'm we no talking human about geneticist, but I, I can't imagine it having that many positive benefits. <laughs> that's like Jenga, dude. It's like, oh, I'm just going to pull it. Don't, don't do that. Like, can you imagine like in a game of Jenga where everyone looks at you and they're like, don't pull that one. Don't pull that one. And then you pull it and it all falls. I, I feel like that's what it would be like removing the Y chromosome. Everyone's like, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And they're like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then they do it and everything falls apart. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be Jenga of the human DNA strand. All right. So, uh, Mid-Center Josh said, you could record the genetic info on a blockchain. I'm not going there. (laughs) That's funny, though. Um, So, speaking of someone falling, uh, I want to talk about another controversy this week that's sort of rooted in this this, uh, sort of disconnect, this rationalism. William, did you see the whole controversy about gymnast Simone Biles at the Olympics this past week? I heard she got the twisties. Right, so she got the twisties, which is not that she went to Twisty Treat and got a specific type of uh, dessert. Uh, during the team competition, she didn't land a jump correctly. Fortunately, she didn't get hurt, but then she withdrew herself from part of the competition. I say part of the competition because she did not compete in the individual all-around, and because of that, uh, another American gymnast won the all-around gold so i mean great for her uh and we'll get into that in a second 
but I don't know if she's going to compete. I guess the the individual events are coming up. I think they actually might be today as we're recording, and they might have been this morning. So it's possible she could have re-entered herself into the Olympics. Now, the twisties are part of what people are saying as to why Simone Biles removed herself. Right, The twisties are sort of like anxiety. It's sort of like, oh, you know, I... I I don't feel like I compete as well as I can compete because I'm feeling nervous or so I think of it as like a pitcher getting in a slump, right? Do you, if a pitcher's in a slump, do you keep putting that pitcher in? Do you take the pitcher out of the rotation or not? These are open questions. Well, that's something they call in gymnastics. They call it the twisties because of this, because she removed herself, people are calling her a hero. They're praising her for it. But there's actually more going on with this situation because do you deserve to be praised when you get to the Olympics? You're considered the greatest of all time and you essentially quit. Oh, this is too tough for me. I'm in a bad place psychologically. Well, isn't don't the best athletes push through? Isn't that what separates the best? It's not just physical. It's psychological. So there's an interesting question there. But then there's a layer here that makes it even more difficult. Simone Biles is the last remaining female gymnast who said that she was molested. I didn't want to use that word, but I'm using it by Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser was the team doctor who for years was sexually abusing. That was the phrase I was looking for sexually abusing young female gymnasts. And he's in jail now because of that. And there are legitimate concerns about whether she was experiencing trauma and traumatic flashbacks and being triggered by being in the Olympics because of the stress and everything. Now, does that make her a hero for stepping down or not? I don't know because there is something to be said of, well, because she stepped down, the other gymnast, I believe her last name's Lee, Lee was able to win. And that's a good leader, right? I can't compete. I want to give someone else the chance. Now, does she deserve to be praised for that? I don't know. On the other hand, why is no one looking at this tra- or tragically? I know Michael Phelps said that. Michael Phelps said, you know, good on her for stepping down, but... This is a tragedy. Isn't it a tragedy that someone's psychology was harmed so much? Someone who's so gifted athletically that she's considered the GOAT, considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest American gymnast of all time, if not gymnast of all time, had to step down because she was sexually abused by this monster? Again, people, William, are oversimplifying this. What do you think of this situation, William? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of agree with Phelps. Um, it can be both things at the same time, right? We can we can right uh, we can praise someone for being a, an effective leader, knowing their limits, um, making a tough call, and at the same time point out that this is tragic. That uh, you know what could we and it, and it's perfectly normal to ask, well, what could be done going forward, right? How do we in, how do we like if you're that athlete, how do you prepare yourself to not have something like this happen again, right? What are the things you can do? And then you have the added layer of trauma. It makes it really difficult. It's a difficult problem. Um, Yeah, I have sympathy 
I, I guess I don't... There was a lot of folks with really... I don't know, with really non-sympathetic views is maybe not what I'm looking for, but maybe empathetic, like lacking empathy, like things lacking empathy, right? Um, and it that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I guess I didn't feel that... I, that sense of betrayal that was sort of coming out from people's like negative take on this. I didn't feel necessarily that, that feeling, right. That they're feeling of that sort of like betrayal of, Hey, you've been given this giant opportunity and you're just throwing it away. And, uh, without even trying, you know, would, what if in the, what if scenario, what if, she had said, oh, I have the twisties. I'm going to go try to power through. Goes up there, does terrible. Would people then be saying, well, you should have stepped back? People would have definitely, there would have been people saying that. Would it have been the same people? I don't know. But that's sort of the damned if you do, damned if you don't yeah. uh, approach to this, right? Uh, and before we continue, Midsider Lucid in Discord in the chat said that uh, Biles withdrew from two individual events and the only remaining one is the balance beam. So conceivably Biles was done after the team event, right? So at least she's consistent, right? But in response to what you're saying, William, I think that's part of the problem of the rationalistic society, the social media society we live in. I get that this is a world event and she's world famous and people are going to want to know what happened and they want statements from her. But I think it was a mistake in the same sense that I'm so glad that NFL players aren't tweeting during the game. I think it was a mistake that when she was at the Olympics, she was tweeting things. I think it was even a mistake. She was making statements about what she was going to do after the team event. Cause I think if you're a good coach and you're a good member of her family and you're empathetic towards her, you understand what she went through and you understand why she would want to stop. But you say, stop, don't make these statements publicly. We can get you the best help we can over the next few days and make sure you really can't go. Because if you can power through this, I want to see you try and power through this. Because even if you fail, and this is how I think as a coach, I don't care what the result of your match is. If you go out there and you give your all that you are capable of giving, then that is a victory. Because you have gotten better, not just as an athlete, but as a human being. Now again... Stepping down so that somebody else can win the gold. I wouldn't even call that selfless because if you value other people and you value your team, giving them the opportunity is a good thing. So there is a a valid reason. There is a moral reason, a rational reason to step down as well. I'm just saying that this was a decision that didn't have to be made publicly and there didn't need to be this public discourse about this. Who are we to even have this discourse about all of these things? And that's the problem. This goes back to Naomi Osaka with tennis, right? Say what you will about Marshawn Lynch. But he fucking went up there and he said, I'm only here so I don't get fined. And that was it. He didn't fucking explain himself. He didn't make public statements. People weren't speculating about it. It was just like, oh, Marshawn Lynch is doing that because Marshawn Lynch wants to do that. Stop making all of these things public and stop making this that this is a thing that everyone can decide on and everyone can have an opinion on. 
I wish she had taken the time, her family and her team, her coaches had taken the time to pull her out of the public eye and figure out how to handle this and if she really didn't want to compete. And if she didn't want to compete, all she had to say is, the best decision I made, I made the best decision for myself, my team, and my life going forward by not competing. And that would have been the end of it. That would have been praiseworthy, but it also would have, as you said, William, at the same time been a tragedy. Instead, we overcomplicated things because we need to have this ongoing narrative at all times and discuss things rationalistically, disconnected from reality, disconnected from who Simone Biles is, because we're only looking at what people are crafting and putting out there. And then we're, we're filtering it through the media as well. And that's what's creating all these problems. Yeah. she. You know what she should have done, William? When they tried to get her to talk about it publicly, she should have just said one thing. We've got to follow the science. That one? Exactly, William. Exactly. All right, I think that's good for the Life on the Midside segment. You want to talk about some art? Let's do it in the hopeful romantic with JML. Put me into syndication. Broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. I need a rerun to better cast the next series of events. In the air timeline lapse, my major TV type was written off. In the last season when I wasn't focused on. If you would like to continue to talk to us during the week, you can do so in our Discord channel. You've been hearing how through this episode, people have been listening live and contributing to this episode. It's great. I've really appreciated that. So if you want to join the Discord channel, you can do so by going to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link and click on the link to join the Discord. Hopefully we'll hear from you this coming week. So there's a few things I want to talk about before we get to Trailer Takedown. Uh, there's a new song this week I want to talk about, William. There's a couple movies I want to review. So the first thing is, Newfound Glory released a new song called Backseat. Now, they've been doing this a lot recently, where they release an album, and then, in order to do two touring cycles with the album and make some more money off of it, they release a special edition, which is like an album and a half. So there'll be like five or eight more songs on it. Backseat is one of those for their recent album, uh, Infinity. What's the album called, William? I forgot. It's like Infinity X Infinity Forever or something. I don't know. I'll look it up. Yeah. The graphic is, it's, it's, it's one of those ones where you see the graphic and you know what it is. Uh, right. Versus, uh, versus the actual title of the album. Right. Anyway, well, William's looking that up. They, they released the song Backseat as a way of promoting that new special edition of the album. This song, the reason I wanted to highlight it and bring it up is, to me, this is classic pop punk. To me, this is one of the best Newfound Glory songs ever. And it's for two reasons. One, the instrumentation combines those pop and those punk elements, especially when you get to the bridge. Right, The bridge goes hard, and the bridge is more punk, but the rest of the song is more pop. And that combination of the two is great. But also the lyrics. The lyrics are classic Newfound Glory. This could have been on their self-titled album. It's all yeah, this, about, you know... This album is Forever and Ever Times Infinity. 
And what's the special edition called? Do you know? Uh, it's called Forever and Ever X Infinity and Beyond. And Beyond, okay. So Infinity and Beyond, right? Like uh, that's a nice little buzz year reference there to Infinity and Beyond. So yeah. So they've been doing this, but this song, William, I don't know if you heard what I was saying. Like the instrumentation is very pop punk, and then the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. It's classic newfound glory. It's this idea of like, you know, I've been rejected by everyone around me, even though I'm just trying to be myself and I just want one person. And that was sort of what drew me to pop punk in the beginning is I do think you can take it too far and be very secondhanded. And like, if I find one person, but I do think, you know, the need for psychological visibility is a big thing in pop punk. And I think this song really nails that. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it, it captures that feeling uh, um, of uh, Hank at the desk, right? And pushing himself up. That's kind of the feeling that that, that sort of captures for me. Definitely, definitely. So check that song out if you get a chance. You can, you know, wherever they're streaming, just go to YouTube, put in Backseat, Newfound Glory, and listen to that song. As we were uh, recording, somebody joined the uh, the Discord, so that's awesome uh, I, I want to review a couple movies William I want to review Joe Bell and Jungle Cruise so Joe Bell do you remember the trailer for Joe Bell William no remind me which one was that one so Joe Bell was the one about Mark Wahlberg who was the who did the based on a true story oh okay yeah where his uh, he was the dad was the dad's gay son committed suicide because he was bullied and so he's going to walk everywhere. Right. He's going to, well, specifically, he's going to walk from Oregon where they live to New York City where his son wanted to live. Right. Now, I won't even discuss that his son wanted to live in New York City, although there's a lot of interesting things I thought about. Not, they're not in the movie, but as an implication of that. But I'll talk about the movie itself. So I will just flat out say that I give, I'm going to give this movie a no bro rating. So this is the second to worst rating. The only reason I'm not giving it a no rating and I'm giving it a no bro is uh, Mark Wahlberg's pretty good in it. I can't remember Riley. I can't remember the last name of the the actor who plays the, the son was good. They're good. And there is a great scene with Gary Sinise and Mark Wahlberg. But the reason I'm giving this a no bro is by the time I got to the end of this movie, I was angry. And I was angry because they told this story in possibly the worst possible way. So the movie starts with he's at a school and he gives a short kind of shitty speech about like how bullying is bad and how you need to respect and love each other because that's what he was going across the country to do to raise awareness. But really what he's going across the country to do is sort of to forgive himself for his relationship with his son and for how he feels he contributed to the the suicide however this scene jumps between or this movie jumps between the present and the past and all the scenes are very very disconnected from each other and almost felt like a series of vignettes now they do you know they don't show the suicide they show the the son being Jaden being bullied at school for this is what I mean about it being vignettes. So for some reason he goes in the locker room 
and then he gets beat up by the entire football team. And that the way that scene is, is shot is very strange. It's very, very strange. But it's never explained why he's in the locker room. It's never explained how he can't get away from them. It's just he goes in the locker room and they all beat him up. Then it shows him trying to talk to people and no one will talk to him. Then the next scene is a, a jogger finds him and his mom finds a note. And you don't actually, you know, you see the his lower body, but you don't see his upper body hanging. And then you see like the dad just stays in bed for a very long time. And in the theater, there was a woman who was sobbing hysterically at this. This is so loud. A mother's nightmare. Right. And now, did this specific person project onto this? Had she experienced something like this herself? I don't know. But for me, it was very distant for me because, as I said, there was no explanation and there was no engagement of anything. Now, as far as the suicide part of it is, we're trying to see this more from the parents' perspective than the son's, but then why are you even showing the son trying to call people? Right? Because there was a whole scene of the son trying to call his friend and his friend was on the way to see her cousin with her mom, and the mom was like, we'll see you on Monday. And it was supposed to be like, oh, the world was turning a cold shoulder to him. But that wasn't the story that was being told. If the story's about the dad, it's called Joe Bell. Um, Then, you, you know, near the end of the movie, Joe Bell is picked up by Gary Sinise, who plays a cop. And I say he picked him up because he's a cop and he's like, why are you walking? And he tells him and they have this great scene where they talk and, you know, Gary Sinise has a gay son as well. And they talk about what it's like, you know, being these, you know, stereotypical, quote unquote, alpha males, right? Very masculine males and having gay sons. And they have a real honest moment. It's the first time there's any sort of catharsis in the movie. And when I say catharsis, like what is the purpose of this movie? What are we learning from this movie? Why are we telling this story? And the scene's wonderful. And then they show Joe Bell speaking at the school, the local school, because Gary Sinise's character is brought in there. Mark Wahlberg has been brought there. And I was like, oh, this is great. This will end here. And he'll give a much better speech this time about what he's learned and, you know, what he learned about his relationship with his son. It doesn't go there. It cuts away from the speech. And then you see Gary Sinise going to a, well, there's a scene where Joe Bell says, bye, you know, not literally says goodbye, but he, because of the things he's realized, he calls his wife and his son and tells them how much he loves them. And then you, then you realize what's going to happen. You're like, Oh God, is he going to kill himself? Now he doesn't kill himself, but Gary Sinise's character as the cop goes to the scene of an accident. The final scene in the movie is there's a cornfield and Joe Bell is reuniting with his son. So they finally connected in the afterlife or something. And then the movie ends. Now the movie tells you afterwards that Joe Bell was hit by a car, but this made me very angry and I'm not going to lie. It was so horrible that it brought tears to my eyes. Now, it didn't bring tears to my eyes because it was horrible the man died. It was horrible, William, that they chose to tell this story. You could have ended it with the speech and then afterwards said, you know, he was tragically hit by a car, adding on to the horror of this story. 
Also, did you know that when the son hung himself, when the son hanged himself, excuse me, he didn't die from the hanging. They kept him alive on machines and the parents had to decide when to turn the machines off and let him die. Wouldn't that have added to the drama of the story? Yeah. Certainly. If you feel responsible for it, but then you also literally are responsible for physically turning his life off. So the choices made with this story are just the worst possible ways they could have told the story because they wanted to tell it naturalistically. What happens when you tell a story naturalistically is it becomes a series of vignettes. You're just telling the things that happened because that's what happened. And that creates that feeling of distance because you're not engaged with the characters. So this movie had potential, but they did everything they could to squander it. So this is a no bro. So uh, this is actually something in the, in the discord here that is very true about the sort of way they wrote this. The whole trope of the football team bullying someone really bothers me as a coach. I find that the kids who are athletic driven and connected with their team aren't usually the ones who bully. It often feels like a a shot by former drama kids at the people they envied. Uh, So that's from Midsider Josh. Uh, Midsider Josh, I will reply to that off air. Uh, It's not that I don't think that's a great comment. It is, but it's related to my sort of thoughts that are sort of disconnected from the, the movie. They're an implication of the movie. And I think you're onto something because I have the same experience as well that the kids who are athletic driven and connected with their team aren't usually the ones who bully because they have the self-esteem and they don't feel threatened by other people. So there's a lot of complicated things going on here. And it goes back to the eighties and nineties, especially the eighties with these tropes of like the bully. Right. And that's sort of why Cobra Kai is such a good show because it deals with, it deals with this. It deals with these issues. Okay. The other movie I want to review is jungle cruise. Jungle Cruise is the adaptation of the Disney ride, the Disneyland Disney World ride starring Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt. If I had to describe this movie, William, it would be a cross between Pirates of the Caribbean and National Treasure. So you know what you're getting going into this movie. I am going to give this movie a solid bro rating. This is a middle of the road movie. What was that, William? I said, okay. Okay, so I want to be clear. I think Curse of the Black Pearl, the first Pirates movie, I think that's an amazing movie. I I might give that a sub romantic movie. Have you seen that one, William? Yeah, of course. Love that movie. Right. It's 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 an it's well written and it's amazing performance by Johnny Depp, yep. which elevates it. But part of what elevates the movie is there's this complexity with the character of Captain Jack Sparrow. Now, I will say that they try and get that complexity with Dwayne Johnson's character. The issue with this movie, though, is Emily Blunt's character is she's not likable. She's supposed to be likable, but they couch her in this progressivism. And sometimes it's fine. And I know people are going to make this a controversy, but her brother is a major character in this movie and you find out that he's gay and she's the only one that's accepted him. That's a time where the progressivism works. But at the same time, this is set in 
like I believe it's 1916 it's set in so it's set during World War One, and she's running around in the jungle in a jungle town trying to free all the monkeys because monkeys shouldn't be in cages why did we have to make these characters these extreme environmentalist animal rights PETA characters then they're yeah. trying to contrast her with the rocks character the yeah he's the skipper of the, the the boat they take up the amazon and he doesn't want to be connected to people he wants to be distant from people now i won't spoil it there's a reason for that that pays off at the end and who she is as a character fades away because ultimately even though this this movie is sort of cliche and by the numbers ultimately i was very surprised with the life affirming ending here so i will say this in as broad of terms as possible she's sort of as an indiana jones vent to her there is a supposedly a flower that if discovered can heal any ailment now the reason this movie is like pirates and the curse of the black pearl is there's a curse involved with this and there it has to do with conquistadors and people who have tried to get the pedal beforehand. So Indiana Jones believes things belong in a museum. She believes in the progressive left-wing person. She is that this needs to be used for everyone, right? Oh, if, if I get this, I could change medicine and help it and save the world. Okay, we can debate whether that's a collectivist goal or not. It is presented collectivistically here. But what I will say is it becomes very apparent at a certain point that that's not where this movie ends up. And it's why there was a certain point where I watched and I knew what the ending was going to be. I won't give it away, but I saw it happen. and I go, oh, that's what the movie's going to be. And they actually go on that ending. And that makes it a very benevolent ending and a very comforting ending where her character in fact learns a lesson the rocks character learns a lesson and that culminates in the climactic moment where she makes a choice and she makes i would say the moral the rational choice and i'm saying that because i would not begrudge you seeing this movie yeah it's a bro movie but you know what it has spectacle it has that element of catharsis it just it it could have been better than it was i would have liked to have seen another draft of the script uh some of the directing with like the flashback scenes of the conquistadors and stuff was very closed in and not as good as it can be. I mean, the directing, look, the, the creative talent behind the camera, the writers and the directors of Pirates of the Caribbean are just more skilled than the writers and directors here. But they were emulating that model. And I feel like the people who were involved did the best they could. And if you like Emily Blunt, you like The Rock, you're going to enjoy this movie. It's just not as good as it could been, could have been. But if you're a Disney fan, especially, it's worth seeing. Okay, so let's move on to trailer takedown here. As always, I post the trailers in Discord on Saturdays. So if you want to, you can watch the you know, trailers, listen to the episode. You can... You know, listen to the episode, watch the trailers, or you can alternate between. You can watch a trailer, 
pause the episode, watch a trailer. Before we get into this one, though, before William hits the drops here, uh, William put the C season two trailer into the discord and I didn't include it. And William asked me why, why did you not include it? I didn't include it for one or two major reasons. One, I try not to do television series, but two, I will not do a television series that's into its second season. C is a, a series on Apple plus about a world where people can't see starring Jason Momoa and it's going into its second season. Uh, the remarkable thing about this trailer seems to be that it stars Jason Momoa and Dave Batista, who I think are the big sci-fi action actors right now. William? Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I think uh, I'm excited to see the new season. It's coming out in August. Um, and it sort of looks like, uh, it looks like an MMA fight, uh, uh, hype reel almost. It's, uh, you know, uh, Momoa versus Batista and it's, uh, you know, we talked about a little bit. I talked about on the show, the, the first season I really enjoyed. There's a couple of missteps, uh, things that I didn't like, but overall it, it brought in a new sci-fi world with an interesting premise and, uh, and had some very exciting action and, uh, drama, and I'm excited to see where this series goes. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Flag Day is directed by Sean Penn. If you remember, he also directed the Oscar. I don't remember if it was winning, but it was Oscar buzzworthy, Oscar hyped movie, Into the Wild. This movie is the acting debut of his daughter, and in the movie they play father and daughter, and he is a drug dealer and she, the daughter's trying to cope with that. Uh, I'm not sure why the movie's called flag day. Maybe it has to do with when this takes place or something. I'm not sure. Uh, this is based on a true story. And the reason I included this is this shows you how technical ability doesn't always relate to sort of catharsis or wisdom or writing ability. And even there's even a difference between this is why spectacle versus catharsis is a good thing to say, because spectacle doesn't have to always be explosions. It doesn't always have to be, oh, it's big, it's large, right? Like Jungle Cruise has that big, large spectacle. But spectacle can be like, this is just a well-made, technically adept movie. And that's what this is. Like, you look at this trailer, Sean Penn knows what he's doing. But you also look at this trailer and catharsis-wise... I don't see anything here that's redeeming about commentary on the human condition. I just don't. It's just like, why would you choose to tell this story? Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I was really wondering why we were looking at this movie because it just looked so boring and pointless. I had no idea like what... Is drugs bad and K? Is that the theme? Like, what is? What are we talking about? Is this a going to be a Taken kind of movie? You know, but without the action, is is this going to be a uh, a mother's nightmare or a you know a daughter father relationship exploration? It's it's really unclear what this is really going to be about. So yeah, it just looked really boring. So tackle, tackle. Second trailer. A Fairy Tale After All is an independent movie 
directed by a man named Eric Peter Carlson about a high school girl who is sort of like, you know, angsty and unhappy with her world and is transported to a fairy tale world. Uh, the puppets look pretty cool. They look like they were done pretty well because this is independent and it has a lower budget. Presumably it sort of feels like labyrinth or something in that nature. And what I mean by that is like it was done 20 to 30 years ago. Does that mean it could be bad? Yeah. But does that mean it is bad? No, this looks like it could be pretty entertaining. And this is the sort of thing that if you get the opportunity to support it, I think it's worth checking out because this guy, Eric Peter Carlson, I looked into him a little bit. He founded this studio on his own. He's making his own movies. And then he was able to find somebody who was willing to purchase this for distribution. So this is something to me that even if the movie ends up not being great, this should be applauded. It's outside the major studio system. It's outside the franchise system. And this is someone who's trying to make his own art and he's making headway with it. So this is something that I would, if I can find a way and find time, give a chance to this to see what kind of a director Carlson is because he wrote it, he directed it, he, he produced it, and he seems to have done it capably. He's at least done it capably enough to get it distributed. So I, I, I'm curious if this is someone we want to commend further or we just want to commend for being able to achieve the creation of his own art now it's the question of is this art worthwhile there is enough in this trailer that it seems like the art could be worthwhile so this is something that i will would give a chance if i if it comes across in a way that i can netflix and hug netflix and hug I appreciate the context of the uh, on the director that that I, while it doesn't change my impression, it certainly adds a, another layer to it. Um, I, I thought this story looked interesting. I I didn't realize how low budget it was and, until kind of like after the trailer was done, and then kind of realizing like okay, like I can kind of see where uh, some some additional visual flaws right that being said i it looked like an interesting story it looked like something like a cross between like the never-ending story sort of thing right where you where where there's this escape um where rather than an escape fantasy it's sort of like you're being pushed into this fantasy world and you're going to learn from that fantasy world so yeah, it just looks it it looked interesting. So, I think I'm gonna try much like you. I'm gonna try and find a way to see if I can watch this just to see an interesting new story. So, hug, hug, third trailer. Army of Thieves is the prequel to Army of the Dead. It's not directed by Zack Snyder. It's it's produced by him. He has a story credit on it, and it is written by Shay Hatton, who wrote Army of the Dead. So this will be very connected to army of the dead uh it stars uh i can't pronounce his last name but he's also the director Matthias swigoffer he plays ludwig so it's about ludwig ludwig is a safe cracker from army of the dead and in this movie he is trying to crack a bunch of safes that nobody's cracked before now the thing i did like about this trailer is i liked that 
they explained why it's a prequel besides the fact that it's a character in the movie. It's a prequel because the zombie outbreak in America is dominating the news cycle to the point that whoever hires him believes that it will make it easier for him to crack all these safes. I like that context matters here. That tells me that there's going to be more of a connection with the other movie, with what's going on here. It's going to go beyond the surface level. Also, the directing looked pretty good. I know this is low budget, but they're trying to make this look similar to the aesthetic of a Zack Snyder movie. This is not naturalism. So uh, Zack Snyder is not the director, but this is a franchise that's being built. There's going to be an Army of the Dead 2. I want to know everything that's going on in this universe. This is a hug for me. Mm, hug. Uh, looks like uh, I, I kind of liked this character, so spending more time with this character is going to be fun, I think. Um, and I'm looking forward to, I'm, I, I too, I'm looking forward to exploring this world further. I think there's some interesting, you know, we've talked about some of the mysteries in the, uh, in the, in the movie, uh, that we've already watched. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this integrates. Are we starting a franchise? Is this, uh, uh, uh meaning are we starting a franchise that's going to go somewhere, uh, and actually get finished? I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm going to give it a hug. Hug. Final trailer. Ghostbusters Afterlife is the long-awaited third Ghostbusters movie. Notice how I am not naming a certain Ghostbusters movie. The movie follows Egon's grandchildren, his granddaughter and his grandson, as they and their mother move to a small town to live in the house that Egon left for them. There's not much story-wise beyond that. At a certain point, the kids break out the Ecto-1, and then there starts being ghost problems in the town, and there's an insinuation that Egon moved to this town for a reason, which presumably we're going to discover. Uh, what I really liked about this trailer, besides that setup, right? That's a pretty good setup. That's a good way, William, of taking something from one generation and bringing it to the next. I know they've tried to do this with like Indiana Jones, where they brought in Shia LaBeouf as Indiana Jones's son. They've tried to do this before. But the way they're approaching this seems to have been done well as far as the transition from one generation to another. I also appreciate that it's his grandkids and not his kids. That sort of shows the passage of time, right? Because this was a big 80s iconic franchise. So that was done well. I liked that the old Ghostbuster trailers were on YouTube, and that was the way that these kids are learning about the way the Ghostbusters were and who they were. That was good. But what I liked, William, the most was I liked the look of this. Whereas a previous attempt to redo Ghostbusters was shot like a Saturday Night Live skit. It looked low budget. It did not look high quality. Director Jason Reitman, who I like, right? He's done some other good stuff. He did Juno. He did Thank You for Smoking, which I really like. He is a talented director, right? I like the way he made this look. This the looks... This looks like a serious action movie. This looks like he's trying with this movie. I didn't have high hopes for this beforehand, 
but Jason Reitman's writing this. He's directing it. This trailer, this trailer impressed me. Hug. Hug. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I would want to also point out that the effects seem to honor the original effects, unlike uh, the movie that shall not be named. Uh, there's no bright, uh, almost fluorescent colors everywhere. Uh, they bring back the like, uh, like the guard dogs, uh, Gozer's uh, guard dogs. Uh, at one point, you see one of those running around, um, which may give a hint to the villain. Um, uh, and then you see Slimer, and it, it it feels right. The visuals feel right. And I think that's uh, hopefully uh, an indicator of maybe honoring the canon in the sense of, you know, if you're going to build on this universe, maybe not shit on the universe in order to do it. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, optimistic as well. So I'm going to give this a hug. Hug. And, and William, to add to that, not only does everything seem right, there's not one thing that I can point to that f- seems or feels wrong. Oftentimes in things like this and reboots like this, there'll be one or two or a few things that you can go. That's not right. That's wrong. But there's nothing in here that feels wrong. This feels like a legitimate continuation of the franchise. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip? William? Oh, man. I learned so much about the the Delta Farce um, that I, I don't know. Are we going to have to retwi- uh, retire this drop now? The Delta Force. Or am I going to have to morph it into saying farce? Justin, what did you learn this trip? I think you're going to have to to morph it into farce, uh, or we can get can uh, trailer takedown Dan to to give us a uh, the Delta Farce variant in this uh, in this style. So, Maybe the Delta uh, Force, can, yeah. or we can find some famous use of the word farce. We can find it. Uh, <laughs> what I learned is a different drop. William, hit it. All right, thanks for listening to the show. As always, like I say, if it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into the closet, talking to myself. You make me feel a little bit less crazy. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash store, picking up any of those t-shirts. You can buy my book at the midside.com slash the cut. You can also support us on Patreon or locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. That is how we keep the lights on. And of course, the number one thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a Delta farce. So is this week peak Delta Farce, or will that be next week? Stay tuned. Could be peak Delta Farce, but then we'll move on to another Greek letter.